0: friends. My name is Sarah Beth Fentress and I'm the host of the Simply 127 podcast. I want to welcome you to season two. I can't tell you how excited I am to be back for a second season. Season one was 20 episodes of hearing from all kinds of folks who are living out James 127 in their daily lives. We heard from a number of you throughout the season, letting us know that you were inspired by hearing these stories of real people on their justice journey. Season one, in many ways, was a great survey of all of the myriad of ways God is using people with a diversity of gifts and backgrounds to care for the vulnerable. In season two, we'll be taking a closer look at how the gospel is central to the work of caring for the vulnerable. It's so easy to get overwhelmed when you realize how great the needs are. It's easy to get fatigued when we feel like there's no way we could possibly do all that needs to be done. But one of the things that sets kingdom work apart from mere humanitarian efforts is that we have the gospel as our motivation and our strength to persevere. We love because we have been loved. We care because we've been cared for. We serve because we've been served. In the gospel, we find the freedom from feeling we need to do it all, know it all, or accomplish it all. Jesus has done everything that needed to be done, once and for all. So we're free now to serve the King out of gratitude and in faith. There's a wonderful, glorious freedom in that, so we decided to center this season on exploring that beautiful truth. We have some really neat guests and wonderful conversations lined up for this season, all circling around exploring the gospel at the very center of the work of Caring for the Vulnerable. When I was considering who to invite to kick off this conversation, my longtime friend and fellow Wildcat fan, Tony Marita topped the list. Tony is the pastor for Preaching and Vision at Imago Day Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, as well as a seminary professor and an author who has taught and written a great deal on the idea of developing a theology of justice. He and his wife, Kimberly, have adopted five children internationally, so this isn't just a theoretical exercise for him. You may want to grab a notebook and pen for this one, too, friends. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today, Tony.
1: Oh, it's great to be here. Longtime friend is is correct, isn't it?
0: That is true. We're
1: looking at what, 20 plus years maybe?
0: Yeah. Do you want to tell your story of how I'm a prophet with you and Kimberly? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So uh, Kimberly and I uh, individually knew Sarah Beth before we knew each other. And um, Sarah Beth told both of us uh, individually that we were going to marry each other. So <laughs> she nailed it.
0: It's one of my few prophetic statements that I've made. <laughs> Um, Well, during this season, we're going to try to focus on this wide angle lens of why Christians should care for the vulnerable um, and how does the truth of the gospel motivate us to do that? So we thought, what a better way to kick that off than you. And then I thought some people might not know who you are just to kind of start and share a little bit about how God motivated you to care for the vulnerable and how God first stirred in your heart towards not only orphan care, but just vulnerable people in general.
1: Yeah, so uh, I was born in Detroit, uh, grew up in Kentucky, and um, my first exposure to, um, uh, I guess, caring for the vulnerable was uh, in grade school. We had, uh, and it was all related to basketball, uh, we, had, <laughs> we, we had a need of a big guy on our team, and uh, there was a guy named David who was about to be uh, placed in a different foster home. And uh, one, it, it broke my heart as a as a as a classmate of his, um, and two, we needed a big man, <laughs> and so I went to my parents, who, um, uh, you know, we weren't poor, but we weren't uh, super wealthy either. Um, and I said, hey, would, would you consider bringing in David? And so we agreed uh, to do that uh, up until he was 18, and uh, he still comes uh, comes around. Um, comes to thanksgiving and things like that, so that was really neat and then um I guess the big the big story in in our lives uh, happened uh back at uh youth camp several years ago now. this would have been about maybe fourteen years ago i guess um I was preaching on the poor, caring for the vulnerable uh and um, just got convicted by my own preaching um and recognized that I didn't really know any vulnerable people i did, I couldn't name an orphan, I hadn't done widow care I, you know i had, I was never opposed to caring for the poor, thought we should, uh, but um, I just didn't have a lot of action in my life. And so I went to uh, Kimberly, and uh, we had been married for about five years, and uh, we hadn't had any children yet, and uh, I knew adoption was one great way to take care of the vulnerable. And um, we started this process. It was about an 18-month process, got approved to go to Ukraine, uh, went there, went to get two kids, uh, came home with four, (laughs) Um, and uh, added uh, a little boy uh, uh, named Joshua a year later uh, to to the mix. So, uh, we went from zero to five uh, in a really quick amount of time. So,
0: And how would you recommend that for an (laughs) early marriage?
1: (laughs) It was, uh, we would do it all over again, but it it has absolutely been the hardest thing we've ever tried to do, and uh, a lot of emotion, a lot of highs and lows trauma, secondary trauma, um, attachment issues, but overall the kids are, are, I would say, flourishing in in many ways. Um, I'm very proud of them. Now they're ages uh, 16 to 20, and so yeah. it's uh, we're, we're, we're teaching them how to drive and, and doing all that fun stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So thinking about um, Christians in particular, what makes us uniquely position to care for the vulnerable? You know, we see throughout history, it's pretty common that Christians are caring for refugees, hungry, the poor, the widow, the orphan. What drives the church to reach out to these groups of people?
1: So I, I would probably just point to uh, creation and point to uh, gospel. Okay. So in creation, we believe in uh, the Imago Dei. That's a great name for a church. <laughs> um, and uh, because we believe that everyone is is made in, in the image of God, uh, they're they they deserve care. They deserve love, uh, honor, uh, dignity, and so uh, the Imago Dei really should drive us just on a basic human level to want to care for uh, individuals. Um, and then uh, when it comes to the gospel, you know what's really unique about Christian uh, uh, social action is is that we we in the gospel can identify with the vulnerable. Um, You know, uh, Jesus speaks of this in Matthew 25 about doing it unto Him when we care for the least of these. Um, But you, you have this idea where we were the orphan and we were adopted. We were the refugee and we have been given the kingdom. Uh, we, we were the poor and we are rich in Christ, you know. Um, we were the widow and Jesus is our, our groom. Um, so if anyone should be able to identify with the plight of the vulnerable, it should be Christians. And the gospel uh, really propels us to do that. Uh, it, it enables us, in addition to, to put the gospel on display in very in very practical ways. Um, you know, it, 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 it's not always gonna be a convincing argument for a non-believer, but it is attractive to many nonbelievers as they see Christians living out this kind of counter cultural uh, ethic if you will uh, and I think it's important to just keep coming back to these theological motivations of of the Imago Dei and and the good news of the gospel because uh, we're not driven by a political uh partisanship you know we're not driven by guilt you know there are many reasons one might get involved in in caring for the vulnerable, but we're we're driven by the gospel and we're also, as gospel people, uh, people of hope. And um, we have new creation promised to us. And and so we serve with a great sense of, uh, of power because we've been given the Holy Spirit uh, with uh, a great uh, model in the Lord Jesus who, who identified with the plight of the weak. Uh, and we've been given this eschatological hope, which is just uh, a glorious reality. So I think it is motivation, and I'm glad you asked the question, because it's not usually trying to convince a Christian you should do these things, though you you may have those arguments, I suppose, <laughs> uh, but it's usually motivation that we need. To, and so the gospel, one, we just need it for our own souls. We need it uh, to, to remind ourselves of the hope we have, but it also should propel us to love.
0: The why behind what we do. Um, you mentioned political, and I don't want to go down too slippery of a slope, but this idea of biblical justice, um, do you see the difference in that versus this, like the term social justice warrior seems really negative. But to me, I'm like, that is, um, it shouldn't be negative. So just kind of talk about biblical justice and how it differs from.
1: It's a great question. And I, I like that term biblical justice. I, I like that the, the uh, term gospel justice um, as well. Social justice, I know there's no problem with the term and all justice in the Bible. The biblical justice that we're talking about is Usually, social. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, it's, it 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 doesn't have to have a negative connotation. But unfortunately, you know, in in society, people hijack uh, terms, and and we're not always operating with the same dictionary when we use terms. So. Um, uh, for me uh, biblical justice is uh, a preferred term because as a pastor uh, I'm I'm not trying to uh win people over to political ideologies I'm really just trying to teach the bible and and to love people you know um and I think it's important for us to to keep clarifying uh, look, I'm, I'm not suggesting you should, you know, uh, be in this camp or, or this camp, or I'm not, I'm, I am not i do not have some covert motivation to right. move our church into some realm of, uh, uh, political favoritism. I, I just want us to be biblically faithful. Now, what's interesting is, um, when it comes to, um, uh, doing justice, the kind of Micah 6, 8 stuff, churches historically that have been, uh, conservative theologically, uh, evangelicals, they they were more inclined, I think, to try to change society through political activism. And I think that's fine and good. We need, we need good people in politics, right? Um, but uh, the younger generation seems to have more of a concern for social justice, um, which is a unique dynamic as a pastor because we have a lot of people that may come to our church who... Um, love expositional teaching, for example, but they, they they come from this camp where it was kind of that moral majority and the political uh, activism, um, and they hear stuff now that they may not have heard in previous church experiences and may even associate that, when I'm calling on us to care for refugees, for example, as some liberal-leaning thing, you know, and it's not. It's just, I want to be biblical. And I really think... Um, we we're always going to make people uncomfortable when we uh, teach the Bible, right? And I think that's part of my job is to make people uncomfortable so that we can be more inclined to more more conformed to the image of Jesus who, who cared for the poor, um, who uh, cared for the marginalized, et cetera. So uh, I, I do think it's important that we, we clarify what we're
0: saying and not saying. Yeah. You like to watch people's light bulbs go off and have <laughs> aha moments too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Just this fundamental question of can we achieve true biblical justice without Christ, and again, just bringing it back to the gospel, how do we differentiate between good work and gospel work, and why are the gospel and caring for vulnerable people so intertwined you 've talked about it a little bit but yeah yeah
1: you know one, one way to think about justice I think is um is simply love your neighbor um, it 's as some have said through the years like justice the way we 're talking about justice is is love going public right it's 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 tied to love, and the Bible assumes that we love ourselves right love your neighbor as you love yourself <laughs> um, so what is it that I want for myself right um, well i I want food I want shelter I want love I want relationships i, I want I need the gospel I need hope uh, really doing justice is trying to love our neighbor as ourselves the things that I would want for myself I, I need to want that for other people and so and that's one of the reasons why we we don't have to make this hard you know uh, line of do we do proclamation or do care Mm -hmm. it's like do love because love your neighbor as (laughs) yourself assumes you will do both right um i don't Tell a person oh because you've got the gospel you don't need any food uh, because you've got the gospel you don't you don't need friends you know uh, no I say you need all of that and um, I think that's a it's an important thing to remember uh, about how just Jesus says the whole law hangs on uh, loving God and loving neighbor uh, and um, there is a there's a wonderful simplicity to that uh, whenever we get into these conversations I think that's kind of the plumb line we just kind of come back to again and again.
0: Good. Um, again, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Um, you know 127 places a big emphasis on working with local leaders. And so um, I know you've worked a lot with local leaders through Acts 29 to um, indigenous um, leaders from other countries just doing in their community what God's called them to do. Um, so, again, how does the gospel empower believers to work together, to set aside differences, listening to one another, cultural differences, kind of those things?
1: That's a great question. I, um, well, I think, uh, biblically speaking, you've got a number of examples of, of churches being networked and Christians networking. Um networking often gets a bad connotation, right? <laughs> but it's it's actually a good thing. I think it's, our networks are in many ways are um, um, sovereignly given to us by God, like He's, he's put us in places uh, uh, intentionally, deliberately. He's in control of things, so we should be thankful for the networks we have, the relationships we have. Um, Romans 16 is a great example where Paul just lists over 30 names at the end of that letter of of gospel partners all around the world. Um, in Coloss- uh, the book of Colossians, he mentions Hierapolis and Laodicea as th- those three the church communities uh, in the Lycus Valley. They were obviously aware of each other. He was concerned about them. Um, you've got a number of other examples I could go into. Acts 9 is a great example because it's a church planting network, and um, I really can know other pastors. Uh, and, and with the, t- the technology that we have today, I can know them in Africa, as well as I can know them in America, um, in terms of being able to communicate with them and how often I communicate with them um, in, in A29 is is probably a fifty-fifty split, uh, as many uh, internet uh, those outside the states as inside the states. Um, I think I love 127s work for a number of reasons and recommend it to everybody so if you listen to this and you need a partner to do uh, care for the vulnerable uh, you have your you have your solution um, is working with local leaders is is vitally important because we, there are so many examples of missions gone wrong right where we would go in and and, and paint a house seven times and and come back after a week and have, have some pictures with with people you know um, it it's, it's not sustainable, it's, it's, it doesn't have a durable impact, and so working with local leaders on the ground is is where it's at because, as you guys do, you know, we're just coming in alongside of them and empowering what they're already doing, uh, trying to resource them as, as well as we can. Uh, and I think uh, the gospel compels us to do that because we want to see the glory of God cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. We want to see God's name uh, praised all around the globe as one who is worthy of it, and uh, if if that means you know I I need to to give a hundred dollars a month to, uh, one twenty seven if that means I need to get on a plane and go, train some pastors if if that means you know you you want to take your pig farming skills, uh, <laughs> overseas and train train villages how to raise pigs or how to catch catfish or whatever it is <laughs> you know we do that because uh, we're motivated by, the, the the simple fact that that Jesus is worthy of our lives he gave us gifts we we have no right to. Uh, withhold those gifts they are for, to, to bless other people with and so I one of the great questions I think when it comes to care for the vulnerable is um, what what do you already do that could be utilized for the vulnerable and um, often we try to pigeonhole people I think uh, or they hear it like that that there's only certain reasons why you would want to do this sort of thing maybe it's giving or maybe you're a teacher um, that sort of thing but man as you guys have examples of teaching people trades and um, setting them up well uh, for life uh, transitional assistance for kids who are aging out of orphanages there's so many ways you can bless the world through what you're already doing
0: Um, You mentioned short-term missions maybe having some negative connotations um, in some audiences. We call it the white savior, like we don't just want to come in. So can you speak a little bit about this balance of you want to teach pastors without coming in as Mm -hmm. superior and how that um, has affected you personally?
1: Yeah, and let me clarify the short-term mission real quick. I I do want to see more people do short-term missions uh, around the world. I just wanna make sure what we're doing is, is impactful and, and um, it'll have a, uh, an impact after we get back home. Um, because just going overseas opens your eyes to the world and uh, traveling uh, overseas, particularly in areas where you're caring for the vulnerable, will often be a life-changing, really a life-changing experience. So uh, I remember taking a group of doctors on their first uh, medical mission trip in Nigeria about 14 or 15 years ago, and uh, it was a remarkable experience. Um, So yeah, I think um, when it comes to me training pastors, I mean, that's part of, it's one of the primary uh, uh, reasons I, I travel is because and, and I don't just do events, right? I have a really thin grid of what I do. Uh, and training pastors is one of them because that has a multiplying impact. Um, I want to see guys uh, teach the Bible, exalt Jesus, plant healthy churches, care for their communities. So I come in to encourage. I come in to equip um, and, uh, and try to stay in contact with them, put them in uh, you know the 829 network or, or something like that where they, they've got a good community. Um, so I'm not going in to blow them away with a sermon, you know. I'm I'm going in to, to help them learn how to do the the kinds of things that I think gospel ministers ministers ought to be doing, and so that's uh it's vitally important and just multiplying your your impact. Uh, the same, I, I think you see this pattern, of course, with Paul investing in elders and uh, Timothy, Titus, and so on, and urging Timothy to do to do that as well to take what he had learned and entrusted to faithful men who will teach others also. Um, so uh, yeah, I think um, I think you're on it with this uh, uh finding a way that your your mission trips are going to make a, a long-term impact is is really important.
0: Mhm. Um, then I would love for you just to think about someone who's just getting started on their journey. What are some ways you would encourage them? Maybe they're just listening to the podcast out of curiosity, um, not only with 127 specifically, but just in general caring for the vulnerable. What would you say to them?
1: I, I would say start small. Uh, again, the back to the white savior thing. I think sometimes <laughs> when we hear about problems in the world, uh, we think we have to eradicate it entirely, or we 're not being successful or or we think we can eradicate it entirely <laughs> and and we should be realistic enough to know that 's not going to happen until Christ returns um, but we we do what we can, and we we um don't minimize uh doing something small for. Uh, the least of these Jesus said if you give just a cup of cold water you will you know you will not lose your reward so I think um, when you start small I think you you begin to uh, get a glimpse of what you're good at what kind of impact you're making where the problems are what kind of solutions uh, need to be uh, uh, developed um, uh, and I would say probably Try a variety of things in terms of if if you've got options. So I remember Kimberly uh, in New Orleans used to take ladies down to the battered women's shelter in New Orleans, and they would uh, care for the ladies. She worked in a homeless shelter. It was not uh, you know sensational looking work. It was yeah it was just it was basic love of neighbor mm-hmm. and love for the vulnerable, and that just opened her up to a whole world of of caring for the vulnerable. That that led her into. Working for uh, international justice mission and uh, doing a number of other uh, um, uh, ministries related to care for the vulnerable, Uh, starting really small. I think that's that's uh, uh, that's what I would say to the person. So if that's contributing, you know, ten bucks a month, if that's. Just doing some reading, like you're starting small, might be get educated, and because which is really important, as you know, we can often do this work without a lot of uh, understanding and knowledge, and we can cause problems actually. So, um, getting educated, um, I would say start with your local church. Uh, what what are they doing? Um, if they're not doing anything, then that's that's a problem. I think uh, that would be maybe a conversation with uh, one of the leaders. Just uh, humbly, graciously. Um, what do you think about us doing X? And often as a pastor who's busy, I, I know that pastors often are for those things. They just don't have the bandwidth and energy to, to push yeah. it. So you may be the new leader if you go in and, <laughs> and talk about Just let people run it.
0: with what they're passionate about.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's that's the beauty of having you guys here is I can talk about orphan care and then we've got an outlet for them <laughs> to do it, you know, and that's just uh, that's a dream. So...
0: Yeah, that's actually, uh, we'll end with this question. Similar to the challenge, just thinking of pastors who maybe are a little leery of working with paraprofessional organizations, um, what would you say um, IDC's experience has been staying in your lane, but also providing other lanes for your members to hop on?
1: Yeah, a parachurch often gets a a bad rap, unfortunately. Uh, Mm -hmm. I remember Tim Keller one time saying, Mm We, the, the church needs these organizations in, in a certain sense, and but the organizations also need the church. And uh, he gave an example of uh, a missionary uh, being on a college campus 40 hours a week, right, versus your college ministry at your church that, you know, is led by volunteers or whatever. The, the amount of hours that this one missionary on the campus can give to evangelism, for example, versus what your college ministry is going to do. And so... But the college ministry needs to, on campus needs to be tied back to the, to the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's the same with, with any ministry that you want to, to see happen. Um, you know, the reason we're part of A29 is I, I want us to plant churches around the world and I want to work with a good organization. I don't have 40 hours a week to give to that, um, but there are full-time staff who do. Um, I want to care for orphans around the world and the vulnerable. Um, but I don't have forty hours a week to do that, and uh, but you guys do, right? Yep. Uh, and so I, I just practically it makes sense mm-hmm. to to say, you know, here's a partner. Uh, we want to care for uh, uh, refugees in in Raleigh, and and here's a great organization that we can get behind to do it. Uh, so I would I would encourage pastors. I think the key is the one it's it's um, the organization is is credible quality. But there's also a relational dynamic that that's really important. The the tighter, the better the relationship. I think the the better the partnership is just going to be on a relational level. So um, those are you, you know you need to line up theologically at least to a certain degree on on these things. Um, it, that's a high priority for me, and um, you know I, it uh, just just knowing what's going to be communicated and conveyed. Um, so you know you do you do your work. You don't. I'm not saying be cavalier and get 25 new partners this week, but uh, I think there's certainly great impact. And, you know, the, the thing about uh, exhorting people as a preacher to do things like um, college ministry or um, or caring for the orphan, if you don't have some way for people to do it, they, they get frustrated with you, mm-hmm. <laughs> and rightly so. Like, <laughs> like uh, so tell me how, how do I do this? So I, I think... Uh, you know, the motivation of the why and then the how, those are the two big ones. It's it's usually not the, the what of should we do this. It's it's w- what motivates <laughs> Yep, And then how do we do it? Those, those are so important.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much. We're so grateful for IDC and our partnership. And uh, thanks for your time today.
1: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: Hope you guys enjoyed this conversation between Tony and I. Thanks for listening. As always, we'd love to hear from you if you have any suggestions for future episodes, especially for season two as we explore gospel centrality as it relates to caring for the vulnerable. Let us know if you have any other questions too. We'll be releasing new episodes every other week between now and the fall of 2021 with a few breaks in the spring and summer. We are excited to see what God has in store for this season.